Welcome to this Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. I'm joined by today's guest, Nan Sato, who is a sports lawyer, a former corporate lawyer, and is based in Japan and in New York. And she works for the firm Field R, of which many of you will know the principal, which is Taku Yamazaki, who's one of our editorial board members. Um, Nan, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Sean, for having me. So as part of the Japanese sports law blog, um, and looking at all Japanese and Asian sports law blog, and Nan is going to, um, and her colleagues are going to be writing articles for us as they have done in the past, but we're also going to be doing a series of podcasts and interviews to cover some of the sort of key issues and developments that are happening. So Nan, um, so what's going on at the moment in Japan? So I think the biggest news coming out of Japan recently is Otani's decision to, uh, to transfer to the major league next year. Um, so uh, most of them uh, know him already. He is probably uh, you know one of, one of one year generation talent um, in baseball, who's a great pitcher as well as a very good hitter. So um, he's currently 23 years old, and uh, pretty much every major league baseball team has their eyes on him. So finally, he made the decision to transfer to the U.S. and he picked an agent. So we're all very excited to see where he goes from here. Um, so with this news, we actually um, put our attention to some other issues in Japanese baseball as well. And I thought it was a good opportunity for us to actually talk about some of the issues that we have here and maybe think together about issues surrounding, um, you know, things like sporting sanctions, uh, which is a universal hot topic at the moment. Oh, absolutely. Um, we're seeing that particularly um, all the stuff that's going on in the U.S. at the moment. And so for those that aren't familiar uh, just as a way of background, because this is one thing that I was quite ignorant to. I knew that Japanese baseball uh, was very popular, but um, am I right that the professional league is the fifth uh, largest league in the world, sports league in the world, in terms of revenue? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so so super significant. And I think actually we've got some articles on it on law and sport. I think maybe that 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 Tack had had written uh, some time ago now, but around the transfer of Japanese players um, to the major league in, in the US. Is that right? There's um, some, some sort of special agreements about how they transfer over. Yeah, um, uh, you may have heard about the posting system, which is, um, you know, under the system, the, Jap the, the American Major League uh, Baseball team that uh, gets the Japanese player needs to pay a transfer fee uh, to the Japanese club that uh, releases the player. And uh, this is very timely because the current posting system just run out uh, this year in October. So the uh, two countries are currently negotiating a new system, which will probably be a percentage of the signing uh, of the player salary, uh, rather than right now it's uh, capped at 20 million US dollars. So any, any team that's willing to pay that amount can negotiate with the players for 30 days. But uh, the new system is thinking um, more like a percentage arrangement. Very interesting. I oh, should definitely, def definitely delve into that a little bit more. Um, in the future as, as, as that sort of gets um, ironed out, all the details get ironed out. Um, yes. So we, let's come back to the the, one, the the point you raised about sporting sanction. And I always find, um, speaking to various people, the Japanese Baseball Players Association, yourself, TAC, um, or Football Association, that the cultural aspects and negotiations around 
um, players' rights uh, in Japanese sports is super fascinating. It's been really interesting to to find out how that's developed over the years because you know mm-hmm. in, in the past um, there's been a very differential approach towards the administrators and now athletes in Japan have particularly in baseball have actually got yeah. um, good representation and and, uh, and able to stand up for their rights so uh, what's going on at the moment then in terms of the sort of sporting sanction issues um, within Japanese baseball? Yeah, so um, like you said, uh, baseball is the biggest sport in Japan. So the uh, baseball players here are definitely enjoying better protections and rights than some uh, smaller sports here. But compared to international standards, there's still a lot that we can learn from and catch up to. So right now we have this case uh, involving a player with the Tokyo Giants baseball team. And his name is Shun Yamaguchi. He joined the team this year as a free agent and uh, um, you know uh, I'm not right now at liberty to disclose the amount of the contract but uh, uh, you know he has the right let's just say to receive a pretty significant uh, amount of money every year Um, in July he got intoxicated celebrating his 30th birthday and cut his hand so when he was seeking uh, medical treatment at uh, at the hospital in Tokyo uh, he, you know, because he was drunk and excited, he shoved a security guard and damaged a door at the hospital. So it quickly became a, sc- a scandal and the hospital reported the incident to the police. Um, but the c- case was soon settled and no prosecution uh, against him was filed. So um, the players, uh, so, uh, so what happened after that is... Um, the team, the club, Tokyo Giants, uh, came out and said they need to sanction him, uh, give him a a suspension for the rest of the season, which is from uh, July to uh, November, about five months. So, um, yeah, so, you know, this is very, very serious sanction. And this is something that we have never seen in the history of Japanese baseball or any other sports, as a matter of fact, in Japan. And our suspicion is, you know, the player's performance, honestly, has been quite mediocre since he joined the club and um, and the club recently hired a new general manager. So um, it seems like the new general manager is trying to use this incident as an excuse to get rid of the player. Uh, and make some changes to the roster of the team. So, so in from um, I'm just thinking about this. So, uh, with the incident itself, that um, in Japan, do you have um, do they put morality clauses into the contract? So, you know, if the um, player was to bring the sport or bring the club into disrepute, um, are there punitive sanctions that can be un- under the contract? Um, you know, because depending on the severity, obviously, if someone was to do something like you know seriously harm someone uh, then mm-hmm. you think that from an employment perspective the employer will be within their right to terminate their contract so is that something that is commonplace though within um, uh, I'm not saying that in the, obviously in this instance but is that something that you, that is inputted into the or included sorry into the Japanese baseball players contracts well yeah obviously under the rules the uh, clubs and the league are allowed to impose sanctions on players who damage the reputation 
of the game, and it has happened many times in the fa- in the past. But in this case, we're everybody's surprised about ha- how heavy the sanction actually came down. So um, let me just give you a sense. Um, we, uh, as the uh, Japanese Professional Baseball Players Association, reviewed the past cases where uh, players in different sports have received sanctions for similar conduct. But no one in the history has received the fine that is even close to this amount. So, for example, in baseball, we have had a number of cases where players were actually prosecuted and convicted for things like drunk driving and disobeying police orders. So, you know, a very serious criminal offense, um, you know, similar to uh, maybe even heavier than this one. Uh, but so far, the fines imposed have been about five to ten thousand U.S. dollars, and the most uh, had no. Most of these cases had no reduction of salary. Only one had a reduction of two hundred fifty thousand U.S. dollars, which is much smaller compared to, uh, compared to the current case, and the suspension period are also much shorter. Um, you know, that's in baseball and uh, in football, you know, even just this year, two players committed uh, violence against other people. And one player was a player of uh, Van uh, Forrest Kofu. He uh, actually beat up a, a female friend of his and was detained by the police, but only received the suspension for the rest of the, the season and the reduction of 20% of, of his, uh, his salary for three months. Uh, whereas another player for Tokushima was physically violent toward the ball person during the game, um, but he only received a short period of suspension from practice and a deduction of 20% on one month's salary. So you can see compared to these cases, um, the sanction in our current case is unprecedented. Yeah. And so what's the recourse for the player at the moment? Because no doubt, you know, what should happen under you know, for contractual stability would be that if they wanted to get rid of him, that they would be able to, you know, essentially pay him off, really, or, or start negotiations, allow other teams to sort of negotiate with the player. Um, subject to all the, the relevant clauses, but but what in this case then, when the player is, um, this is a, you know, let's assume everything that you said is correct, and that um, you know that it is dis- disproportionate. What action does the player then take? Who does he go to first? Right. So in Japan, players are not uh, considered workers under uh, the labor law. So even though the player associations are treated as uh, labor unions and they're recognized under the labor union law as unions, but individual players are not workers. So we have this very interesting legal situation here. So in this case, you know, the Japanese Professional Baseball Players Association came out for the player and filed objections first with the club and NPB, which is the federation, uh, you know, because the sanction is so egregious and disproportional to the conduct. So after several communications, uh, they didn't receive any meaningful response from neither the team nor the uh, federation. So in the end, they had to um, go 
uh, try to come up with uh, a legal argument to bring the case. Um, and the two p- potential legal arguments they had, one was based on labor ground uh, under the labor union law, like I mentioned. And another one uh, is based on antitrust. Uh, and that would be a case to be filed with the Fair Trade Commission. But unfortunately, so far, we do, uh, we do not have any precedent of applying antitrust law to sports in Japan yet. So uh, the Free Trade uh, Commission have uh, been, you know, looking into some of these informally, but they haven't uh, in- uh, they haven't launched any formal investigations. We expect them to start some formal uh, investigations in the first half of next year. But as of now, you know, we are less confident about antitrust as a legal ground. Uh, so the JPBPA, the Players Association, decided to use the labor law argument, and therefore they file they filed a case with the Labor Relations Commission. Um, so, uh, like I said, in Japan, labor law doesn't apply to the players directly, uh, and players are not recognized as workers. So. Um, the, the organization filed a case on uh, several grounds, including uh, club, the club's uh, unilateral negotiation with the player individually without going through the, uh, the players association, the union. And also uh, when the negotiation didn't go well, the, play, uh, the club unilaterally stopped negotiation with the group. And also, um, it failed to provide any reasonable explanations or materials justifying its position, even though uh, the Players Association gave them several opportunities to do so. And with respect to the NPB, to the Federation, um, the argument is that it has refused to conduct collective bargaining with good fi- uh, in good faith with the Players Association, and thus it's in violation of the labor union law. So um, that's the uh, those are the basis legal basis for the case filed by the Japanese Baseball Players Association, and the first hearing date is December fourth. So we'll see what's gonna happen there. Well, good 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 luck with that. And I think it's interesting because I'm sure that many others will be listening and thinking the same, which is. Uh, particularly if they're outside of, of Japan or in other, in, let's say in, in the UK or America or some parts of Europe, and I think this this um, repeatedly what comes up yeah. has come up at the moment in the UK is this issue about you know the employment status of athletes. You know, slightly different yeah. in the team sports, but obviously in the Olympic sports it proposes a problem over here. Um, and you know, we both know and involved with stuff that Brendan Schwab at the World Players Association um, uh, does, um, and he always you know talks about you know you have to get organized you have to do all these different things but it's very difficult in a in a jurisdiction where yeah yeah the the athletes are not considered employees um to actually you know you know get swift action but it seems like you're doing some good work there but no doubt the the um, well, exactly, because we don't have is, uh, you is know, protection of individual this. players um, as workers or as laborers. Um, you know, even though the players' association is trying everything possible, mm. it's still very limited. You know what 
uh, we can what type of protections we can get for the players. You know, mm. the the uh, federation, the clubs are required to negotiate with us in good faith under the labor union law, but the outcome is a lot less direct and less protective for the players right now. Mm-hmm. And do you think that the, um, you know, you've got a couple of major events coming to Japan, so you've got the Rugby World Cup and the Olympics. Do you think that they will focus people's attentions or because of the greater international scrutiny on Japanese sport, that that, that, that will um, maybe accelerate? Because you said, the, mm-hmm. you know, the Competition Authority, as an example, was starting to you know look into this in a, early next year um, from a competition perspective. Do you think that that, will make any difference or is it more about how the Japanese media uh, perceive sport? I think it's a mixture, but you're definitely right in saying that with more attention being paid uh, on Japan, on the sports uh, rights, the players' rights and the development of different sports here, I think there's going to be more and more movement from both the private sector and the government to try to bring the standards in line with the international standards. Whether it's going to happen before the Olympics and the Rugby World Cup, I'm not sure, but it seems to be moving to the right direction very slowly. <laughs> that's, that's great that's good to hear um yeah i always uh, I, I just find it fascinating the more i find it fascinating the more that we um you know cover these issues and the you know the repeated issues there internationally and we go through the same stuff again i find it astonishing sometimes that the individual actors um sort of take this sort of stance um just thinking in the short term because they just don't believe that <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. you know without going into the details of this specific case but just in more general terms mm-hmm. um, you know treating an athlete badly treating any employee badly um, you know make it having bad governance not um, having transparency not the, it just hinders the development I mean, mm-hmm. no matter where you are around the world generally hinders the development of what you're trying to to, to achieve and therefore only you know you attract less sponsorship you attract less revenues people trust you less the fans trust you less it just seems um you know ideally everyone would uh and i think we do see that uh various places around the world now we're starting to see some of the you know the athlete groups the leagues the the governing bodies starting to realize that if they work more closely together yeah and i think people are um, realizing because the objective should be uh, the same really really could be for everybody you know uh, if one side is um, really harming exactly. significantly, yeah. hurting significantly, and uh, not getting what they deserve, and the balance becoming more and more uh, tipped off uh, to, toward one side. I think eventually, you know, it's going to lose the balance, and it's not going to be sustainable. Uh, whereas if everybody uh, is protected in an environment that's best for the development of the sport, uh, then you really have a sustainable model for the long-term development of the sport and for profit-making for everybody. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, well, thank you so much for your time as always. And... Um, 
yeah, I'm looking forward to, to continuing this, these conversations and updates uh, from Japan and the sort of broader Asian region. Um, I think there's some fascinating stuff going on over there. And, um, yes. you know, we are in a global world, um, you know, in an international world of sport that is d- deeply connected and related. And I think there's a lot that, um, you know, just as a community, we should we can do uh, better in sort of sharing that information. So thank you for being part of that sort of group of people who are sort of spreading the word about the various issues of particularly of athletes' rights, but also just about the development of sport in the Absolutely. region. I really thank appreciate you very much, it. Um, yeah, and look forward to to doing more of these in the future.